These kings of the east, and remember that, the kings of the east, they said we will wage war, and they find them down at the bottom of the Dead Sea. Down there at the end uh, of the Dead Sea, there's some area there that is basically asphalt pits or slime pits. Very strategic place to wage a battle, hoping to bog them down. Well, apparently, it seems like Abram's brother-in-law or his cousin, Lot, was there, and he was in a tight fix. And Abram, thinking that blood was thicker than anything else, he goes down to rescue his cousin, Lot. And Abram takes 318 men. He divides the forces. He goes in at night, and he catches them there unaware and defeats them, and they chase them back into the east. So we have here in the Bible the first war that was ever been waged. And it gives us insight into future battles that are coming even to the end of the age. It's interesting that one of the kings mentioned there in chapter 14 and verse 1 is Amraphel. And Amraphel is better known to us as Hammurabi. He was the sixth of the Babylonian kings. You've heard of Hammurabi Code. This is the guy. Guess what his name means? Sayer of Darkness. If you go through the list of those kings, there's a few of them there. Uh, title means cast out from the Most High. Bera means in the evil. And Bersha means in wickedness. What God is showing you, remember, he's setting a pattern here. He's saying there's things in Genesis that will help you to understand not only the day you're living in, but the end of time. When Abram comes down to rescue, he chases them as far as Damascus. You know where Damascus is? Syria. Are you watching your news lately? What's happening in Syria? See, the Bible is very relevant because it's always going to speak to something that's happening in our day. So here's this battle of kings. And it points to a battle who one day, another battle that's going to happen, another set of kings from the east that are going to come across the Euphrates River in the end of time. But you see, these kings that were battling there and the kings that are battling today, they're not battling for your money. They're not battling for your loyalty. They're battling for your eternal soul. See, the issues that you and I face today are not just physical and economic issues. They're eternal issues. And constantly we, we see this shifting of our, of our base. We see this allegiance moving a little bit further away from God. And in the end, what, what's really happening, the strategist behind it all, the enemy of enemies, Satan himself, is trying to get you distracted from what's really important. So you get all worried about things in the economy. You get all worried about things in your family. All worried about things going on in life. And you forget and neglect your eternal soul. Remember what Jesus said? What does it profit a man? He gains the whole world. And he forfeits his soul. Some people give up their soul quickly and easily, and some people just let it erode over time, a little at a time, and you feel like you're just kind of going downhill and you don't really know where you are. In verse 6, it talks about El Paran. Now, if you're taking notes, just mark down next to, uh, in this first little point, mark down Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 3. Well, some of the things I'm going to give you are going to be things you're going to easily grab on, and some of the things you're going to go back and say, let me study and read that a little bit, but I'm going to read from Habakkuk chapter 3 and, and verse 3, because this is what it says. It says, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. There it is. Remember, verse 6, El Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise, and His brightness was like the light. 
Now, you might read that in Habakkuk. You might even hear it tonight and go, so what? What does that mean? Let me ask you this. Has that ever happened? No. You know what it's pointing you to? The second coming of Jesus Christ. Right here in the book of Genesis is telling you something about what's going to happen at the end of time. It's going to tie it together here. And then if we went further into Revelation chapter 16, just write it down. We're not going to read it. It talks about the kings of the east right before the second coming of Christ. They march from Asia. They march over the Euphrates River. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to crush Israel, they think. Write down one more verse, Psalm chapter 2. The kings of the earth. They consult together among themselves. And they say, let us resist the Holy One. Let us break His bonds against us. Guess what it is? It's the end of days. Psalm chapter 2. And guess what the next verse says? God says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh as he brings them to derision. That's God's response to all that man would try to do in this world. You know, it's interesting that in 1965, Time Magazine, in their May 21st issue, announced that China, for the first time, at any time on, on planet Earth, an army had reached 200 million men. Guess what Revelation 16 says? The army, the horde from the east that will come, will be an army of 200 million men. We're living in last days. Everything is strategic. You know that the enemy knows exactly how to get you where you need to be got, do with you what you need, what needs to be done, and get your attention so off of the main thing that you don't even know where you're, what it's happening to you. Jim Elliott was a missionary that went down and tried to minister to the Aka Indians. He really was never very successful because really on his first encounter with them, they killed him and he became a martyr. But listen to what he said. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, he gave everything. And he became really the greatest catalyst for missionary movements from that point on that, that we've probably known in, in this last century or so. Let me ask you something. Have you given up something that you really don't need to gain something that you really need to have? Is your, is your focus eternal or is it eternal? Um, sacrifice. Secondly, sacrifice is required for all true success. Sacrifice is required for all true success. I want to tell you, I want to thank God for every person that showed up here early and set up chairs and, uh, and set up lights and all this stuff. And it was sacrifice. It was about halfway through it that someone said, hey, I think your shirt's inside out. And I looked and I go, well, yeah, it is. There's a tag. I'm not going to. Now I can just, just turn it inside. i got a clean shirt. It's only dirty on one side, right? Joan of Arc was an interesting mystical figure of, uh, of France. And she said this uh, on one occasion. She said, if you come from God... I do not fear you. If you come from the devil, I fear you even less. You know, fear doesn't need to be a part of any of our lives. I think God is looking for courageous men and women who will stand in the midst of the storm and not compromise their faith. It's interesting how Tebow, the football player and the quarterback, has 
has really taken the attention of the world. You know why? One thing. He's just courageous about his faith. Has he taken flack? Absolutely. Does he care? Doesn't seem to. You were created by God before the foundation of the world to win and to not lose. You see, you win. Even if, you, even if someone rejects you and pushes you out of the way, you still win. That's the way God created you. He has a very specific plan for every one of our lives. And when we operate in the divine flow of the Spirit, we can thrive even in the midst of chaos. You'll hear people say sometimes, well, I don't know how you're able to move forward with all that's happening in your life. And then you've got the right response. You say, you know, it's not about me. It's about God in me. I want the explanation of my life, and you undoubtedly want the explanation of your life to be the God who lives in you powerfully and mightily, and, and the yieldedness of the Spirit of God is what drives you forward. I tell people all the time, I say, I hate religion. They go, you hate religion? How can you hate religion? I hate religion. I love a relationship with Jesus Christ, though, and it is different. You'll find that there are moments in your life where God has, has specifically brought favor into your midst. God has put it in your path, and that's not accidental. It's all crafted by the hand of God. And those moments are really destiny-altering moments in your life. If you recognize that they're just sometimes little glimpses of light, you go, wow, there's something here. I need to focus in on that. They're designed to thrust you years ahead and position you to influence your world for God's kingdom. Let me tell you one thing we're going to... We're working on right now. I, I was sitting down with uh, Craig over here, and Craig's our, our chief technical director. And uh, his, he, his fame goes back to Napster and Google and all that other stuff. And so when he starts brainstorming, it gets scary. <laughs> and so I said, and he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I'd like, to, I'd like the congregation to be able to influence how the sermon ends and how it progresses. And so we kind of devised a plan that we're going to implement in, in, in the upcoming weeks where you're going to actually be able to text or tweet in to me while I'm preaching. And as I see those responses, I will answer those questions and move the sermon in that direction so that you are getting something that actually applies to your life. Now some of you are going, I don't know what you're talking about right now, but it sounds really fun. <laughs> We want to take this value of influence and we want to have it run the course through everything we do. When you go out and you're at a restaurant, and we were at a restaurant last Sunday night, I think we had four of the, uh, the waiters and waitresses there. When we told them about it, they said, here's our email, invite us, you might be here, I won't embarrass you, but, but I think we can influence our world everywhere by just talking about Jesus Christ. You know, I've never talked about Jesus Christ except once when anyone, someone tried to kill him. Only one time in my whole life, that's pretty good. And this was some demon-possessed guy in El Salvador trying to stick me with a big stick. <laughs> and then he got scared after I went after him. So what did I do? One, one of those moments in the life of Abraham was this mysterious moment when this guy, Melchizedek, shows up. He appears on a battlefield. It seems odd. And by the way, he was the king of Salem. And by the way, that is Jerusalem. Melchizedek shows up. He's the king of Salem. We know very little about him. We do know that his priesthood is eternal. It says in Psalm 110, The Lord has shown and will not relent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 6, it tells us that Jesus was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. In Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18, it says, Melchizedek brought wine and bread. What unusual thing to bring to a battlefield. And yet, isn't that exactly what Jesus brought to the battlefield of man's soul? He brought his blood and his body. He brought it. He said, here it is. Here is my body and here is my blood. This Melchizedek was a, uh, an early visitor. He was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, here, take this. And when you take this, Abram, every time you take bread and wine from this point on, you're going to do it in remembrance of me. Why well, Abram was so taken back by this, the only response he could, he could have was to offer a tithe unto him. He said, he took tenth of what he had and said, here, you take it. It was an offering unto God because sacrifice was critical. He offers himself, and, and, then he, and, then he, and then God blesses you. He says he blesses Abraham in the name of the living God. God, El El Yom, the all-powerful God. That same name of God is used by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was, was his proud king. And God humbled him. And when God humbled him, he came back and he, he, he acknowledged God, but he used that sacred name of God, El El Yom. And listen to what he said. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. Ever notice when people are away from God, they have no ability to reason? Logic escapes them. Remember the prodigal son, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, wait a minute. I'm stupid. My father's servants are eating better than I am. I'm eating just slot from the pigs. You see, his reason returned to him, and he says, And I blessed the Most High God, and praised Him, and honored Him who lives forever. And His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And listen, Nebuchadnezzar, he goes on to say, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among all the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, what have you done? Let me make the simple translation of everything I just read that Nebuchadnezzar said. God is God. And you're not. And I'm not. He does what he wants, when he wants, to whom he wants. And we want to point a finger, we want to pay some blame. He says, no, I'm God. If I can take kings and I can hold them in my hand like waters, channels of water, and move them where I will, you think I cannot move nations and kings and people and individuals? God is in the business of working in your life and in my life. George Mueller, the great man of prayer from England, he said a uh, prayer, he said, the great point is to never give up until the answer comes. What are you asking God to do in your life? The great fault of the children of God is they do not continue in prayer. They do not go out, go on praying. They do not persevere. If they desire anything for God's glory, they should pray for it until they get it. You know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? God humbled him, and he began, his prayer life took a different place. Let me show you this third thought, and that is allegiance to the king is not optional. Verse 21, now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me your persons and take the goods. See, he wanted the souls. This pagan king of Sodom, you know what he wanted? He just wanted your soul. He wanted your soul. Take all the money you want. I just want the people. 
Look what he says. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God. I want you just to raise your hand to the Lord God right now. And just repeat after me. I take allegiance to the Lord God, to the living God, the God of the universe. El He is the most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. I will take nothing. God had planted a great dream in God from Abraham's heart earlier. It may have seemed impossible. He said, Abram, I want you to, to be the father of a great nation. It seemed impossible to him. But then he decided to put God first in his life. God may have put a great dream in your heart, and you don't know where it's going. You don't know what it's all about. But I, I'll tell you this. When you take that first step and say, I'm going to acknowledge God first and foremost in my life, I promise you that if there's a great dream put in there by, by God, you're going to have success if you've taken that allegiance to God. Now, he may take you down a rocky road, and it may not happen tomorrow, and it may happen 20 years from today, but God has got a work going in your life. He says here, his commitment would bring a new season of God's favor in Abram's life. And if you remain faithful to God, God will activate levels of opportunity in your life. God will enlarge your territory. Just be bold enough to ask God every day for more influence in your life. Ask Him to release your faith and remember what Jesus said. According to your faith, be it unto you. Not according to your intelligence. Not according to your opportunity. Not according to your riches. According to your faith. Maybe you've never heard the name of Primo de Leon. Primo de Leon in 1978 elections in the Philippines had resisted Marcos in his efforts to be president again. Marcos had already declared martial law. The level of corruption was high as you can well imagine. But one man stood tall. He was my friend, our friend. I had the privilege of conducting his funeral in 2003. Tammy and I continue to be, uh, continue our friendship with with his daughter, Christine, and son-in-law, Ron. But Primo was a challenger to Marcos. Marcos came with a suitcase with over a million dollars in cash and put it down in Primo's house. He said, take the money. I'll give you an ambassadorship anywhere in the world. And Primo said, you can always get money. You can always have opportunity. But you can't always keep your character and your integrity. Marcos won the election by corruption, undoubtedly. Primo was forced out of the country. He fled political asylum in the United States and New York. In 1982, just one year after he had been in the United States, he was presented and assigned by the United Nations as head of the reorganization of Cyprus. Lived a long, long life. Helped many, many people. His favorite verse was this. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart, and the commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are much more precious than gold, yes, and much sweet, uh, pure gold, and sweeter than honey, and the honeycomb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. You see, when you swear allegiance to the God of the universe, it's easy to turn down a million dollars. It's easy to turn down 
a coveted position as an ambassador in the world, or whatever it is that comes your way in attempting you. Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, said this, God's work done in God's way will never lack for supply. A couple of life applications I want to bring to you tonight. Here's the first one. Fear is wasted energy. It's just wasted energy. How many of you had fears in your heart? Probably some of you right now. What would happen if you just take that fear and just turn it around and look on the other side of it? You know what you'd find? Is you'd find strength and confidence. You'd find God's power. Here's the second one. Allegiance to the king can be seen and heard in your life. You know, there's those little moments of time when you're standing in front of someone and they want to know where you stand for God and you're tempted to say, ooh, let me compromise this a little bit, maybe not go down this road, go down that road. And you've got that little window, you know it's there. And you, and you, we've all seen them pass by. How you just go, oh, I wish I would have taken that one. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Next time you feel that, just go for it. You say, you know, you might even say something like this. You know, I was tempted to not really tell you where I stand, but I've changed my mind. What I want to tell you is I love Jesus Christ with all my heart and my mind and my soul and my strength. And I will not compromise him for anything or anything. 